Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Creases and Corners podcast. Today, I'm talking with Christian Laforet, who is a local horror author and also a comic book collector such as myself. We're going to be talking to him about all of his endeavors as far as his writings are concerned and all of his collecting and reading of comic books as far as his interests in that particular area as well. So let's get started. Now, obviously, we're going to start at the beginning. Now, when you were in school, did you take a lot of creative writing courses or was that your particular aim to be in that particular area? What was your motive? I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. Um, well, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me here and I'm excited to talk to you. And uh, yeah, to answer your question, uh, I went to school for animation. Uh, I was like, as you said, I'm a comic collector. I love comics. always wanted to draw comics. That was like my dream as a kid. And uh, so the closest locally to that that you could find for schooling was animation um so i took animation and and like it was really once i finished animation that i i realized that it wasn't so much drawing that i loved as much as storytelling uh, i just was doing it through my drawings um so once i kind of had that like epiphany and i kind of started dipping my toes into writing i realized that's really what i enjoyed was just telling a story and and writing was uh felt a lot more natural to me than drawing. So I, I transitioned pretty quickly to just writing my stories instead of drawing them out and, and took off from there. Now, did you, now, as, I, as I said earlier, did you take a lot of creative writing classes or did you sort of veer towards that as sort of, okay, like once you said you had that epiphany of, okay, I don't want to do the drawing so much as I want to do the writing. Yeah, uh, no, I didn't take any, I, I didn't take any creative writing or anything. And in fact, like once I, kind of realized I wanted to write um I got really excited and I wrote all kinds of stuff like right away like I wrote a whole novel in like like a couple of weeks like I was so I was just like so into it because I'd never done it before and it was so exciting but I I very quickly realized that I didn't know how to write at all and I was terrible at it so I had to like then start I didn't take any classes but then I had to step back and I had to really start focusing on just writing short stories and, and writing a lot and getting better and better and then joining like writing groups and uh different things like that to have people kind of like help critique and like you know help me along in my my writing journey I guess and so I, I did avoid all the creative writing classes but I mean I've put in a ton of hours in in various writing groups trying to get better uh, and then once I felt like I had achieved that at least I, I at least I felt like I knew what I was doing um that's when I started really writing longer things again and, and trying to make a, an actual go of it okay now you now being a horror author do you watch horror movies do you draw inspiration from them or what's your main take on any of it yeah I, for sure i mean like i'm a i'm like a horror movie junkie like i watch horror movies almost every day and i mean i always have so like i have an older brother he, he's five years older than me and he loves horror movies so when i was like you know like seven he was 12 and he was watching he would be he'd babysit me but he would like watch like like all the friday the 13th and nightmare on elm streets and he just was always watching horror movies so like i kind of had no choice as a kid i had to watch them too because he was babysitting me and uh but because of that like i just loved them so much and as i got older i just continued just always devouring any horror movie i i can find i, I don't even know how many horror movies i've seen in my lifetime but i mean it's it's probably in the tens of thousands um 
So like, I just watch them nonstop all the time. So, I mean, I don't think I take direct in for, uh, inspiration from any specific movie in, in my writing, but like, yeah, it, it's just through the sheer amount of horror movies I've seen, like it's a part of me and it's definitely something that comes out when I write. Okay. Now, if you had to pick in no particular order, the top five cheesiest horror films that you've ever seen, which would you say they are? Uh, I mean, it, it depends. What, are we talking like cheesy, but that I love or just, just straight up cheesy? Either or. Okay. I mean, for, for cheesy horror movies that are just like terrible cheesy, I mean, you know, that you can always look to, uh, you know, uh, Uwe Boll, the, the director Uwe Boll and his stuff, his House of the Dead. And I mean, he basically <laughs> d- destroyed many great horror games by making them into absolutely terrible horror movies. Um, Alone in the Dark is another one. I mean, he's just awful. And so his movies are cheesy and terrible. But I do love uh, stuff like like the Resident Evil movies. I'm, you know, they're cheesy also, but like a good kind of cheese for me. Like I enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, and anything that's kind of over the top creature feature, I mean, those are almost always cheesy, but I, 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 I like that kind of stuff, you know, weird, overly gory nonsense is, is always good in my book, but, but is not a good movie. Like I can always say this is not a good film, but like, it's a good time. Okay. Now uh, I have a follow-up question for that. Seeing as how you just said something about creature feature, that kind of a reminded me of okay did you watch any of Elvira's movie Macabre or was that some was that your thing um I I I didn't really honestly like I mean obviously every person in the world that was is aware of Elvira and like you know who who she was and 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 you know recognized her but no I never really came across that growing up I don't know why it just it wasn't it wasn't something I ever saw I don't know why if it was just a channel we didn't get or something whatever it was on and and then as an adult I've never really gone back and searched for it I should though because she's awesome okay um now if you had to pick your if you had to pick the best of the horror films that you've seen over the years which would you say they are uh, I mean the the best I, I always think probably the best horror movie in my opinion is probably The Shining um, it's just so good, uh, it, which is, it's funny because Stephen King hates that adaption, Stanley Kubrick's adaption of The Shining, but uh, it's such a good movie. Um, also, The Exorcist is a great movie. Um, for me personally, though, one of my favorite horror movies of all time is uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. I think it's basically the best slasher film ever made. It's 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 scary. It's not like campy yet, like the Friday the 13th would become. It's still scary. It's it looks great. Everything about it, it just is fantastic. I love that movie so much. I was watching a yeah, documentary recently, probably within the last whatever two or three months, about Sleepaway Camp. Have you seen that? Of course, yeah, for sure. They were actually talking to the um, actress who played the character. I can't remember the girl's name. Um, you would probably remember it. She was the main character. She was the one that lived with her grandmother or her aunt and her brother or, or whatever that character was. Yeah, her name's uh, Felissa or something. Felissa Rose or... or uh, no, no I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember the character's name in the movie. Oh, in the movie. Um, yeah, I can't remember what her name is in the movie. It, it will, it'll come to me at some point. Later today, yeah. I'll be making dinner and I'll go, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, spoiler alert. I'm about to spoil the end of the movie from whatever, 1980. <laughs> yeah, or if, you, if you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, that's your fault, so... <laughs> 
I, I'm not really into horror movies. I mean, I've seen a few. I mean, yeah. I've, 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 but I prefer more of the horror comedy type movies, such as Zombieland. I mean, I'm sure you've For seen sure. that. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, horror comedies are, you know, they're 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 hard to get right, but when they are done right, like Zombieland or, or Shaun of the Dead, like they're great. Well, the other the only other I, I would consider to be somewhat uh, science fiction horror would be the other one with a Simon Pegg. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was at World's End where they were trying to find that pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that's a fun one. Now, when you write your books, do you draw inspiration from horror authors such as I don't I don't know um, Tom Ajifers. Uh, I, ha- I have an entire list right here. <laughs> uh, I had a, I had an entire list right here of, of horror authors, and I was trying. Of course, I of course you think I could come up with any of these people's names? Uh, uh, that, so, I don't know. Tom, uh, what, what's his, what's that guy's name? Tom, the uh, Dean Koontz, Stephen King. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and I you, mean, I, I definitely. Uh, first of all, a- anybody who writes horror who says they're not influenced by Stephen King is a liar, because. Even if you don't read Stephen King, like anybody who writes horror today, even if they've never read a Stephen King book, whoever they are influenced by has read a Stephen King book. So like, even if they're not, if they say they're not influenced by Stephen King, they actually are because whoever they are influenced by was probably influenced by Stephen King. So um, Stephen King is the obvious answer, but uh, there's some other authors that I, I really love and that I draw a lot of inspiration from would be... Uh, there's um, a Canadian author, his, his, his name's Jay Clark, but he writes under the name Michael Slade. Um, I really like his work. He's been around for a while. Um, some more kind of like current authors though. Um, Adam Neville is one I really love. And uh, Nick Cutter is another one I, I really love. Another Canadian actually, Nick Cutter. Now, if you had to pick any classic horror authors, who would you say would be one of amongst your favorites? Uh, I mean, the this is a kind of a tough question because I, I don't like, like when you're going like classic as in like, if you're going back a ways, you know, the, the writing styles change so much. It, it's really, they're, they're different. It's a totally different era in terms of the writing and the, the kind of writing is it's sometimes hard to digest, but um, so I don't necessarily think this guy was a great writer per se, but I mean, obviously HP Lovecraft, just because of what he was writing and, and kind of his ideas and, and his, you know, uh, contributions to cosmic horror, which I love. And, you know, he's kind of credited as being the creator of cosmic horror, but um, he's still, you know, he, he, there were some people before him, but I mean, what he did for it was make it this huge thing. And, and I mean, he's so influential for everybody who came after. So uh, definitely H.P. Lovecraft. Now, when you write your book signings, and I know you've done many of them over the years, what's what what's what are some of the questions people ask you about your writings um probably the most common question would be like um how how long does it take to write a book <laughs> you know that like i get two two groups there's the people who who want to write books themselves or want to be writers themselves so they'll have questions like more in line with that like how do i write a book like how do i plot a book how do i do this or that or there's people who who aren't looking to do that but they always want to know how long it takes to write a book or like where do you get your ideas that's that's like probably the most common where did you come up with this so I mean those are the questions I get a lot 
you take ideas from comic books or do you take ideas from movies? What, what's your, what's more of your um, takeaway from any of those? Uh, well, I mean, I would say for the ideas is just, I, I don't really take ideas, like take away ideas from like other, I mean, not, not directly from other kinds of like media. So like, I, I wouldn't watch like a movie or read a comic and go like, this makes me think of a, something I could do that's like this. Um, I would say more of my ideas just kind of manifest like organically throughout like my everyday life, like just more like things that I see or, or just, you know, like being so like my, my novel that just came out infested, it has like, it's all in an apartment building. And, and like, you know, that's more just like my own experiences being in apartment buildings and, and kind of recognizing weird and like, you know, things that are creepy about apartment buildings and, and kind of those kind of ideas all collect and sort of like, you know, sit in a mental file folder until one day it's like an idea comes for a story. And then I, I go and I can start remembering all these things about apartment buildings that I don't like, or that I find weird or creepy. And I can like, you know, use all that to, to feed the story. Usually when I think infested, I'm thinking rats or mice or cockroaches or some other or disgusting, creepy, crawly, you know, 10-legged little thing that scurries across the floor. It wakes you up in the middle of the night saying, wait, what was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that was, that was the other thing about infested was, uh, you know, it, it is bugs. That is the, the, the things in the building are bugs. And it's like, you know, trying to think of like, okay, they're bugs. Well, like, what's like a really gross bug. So it's like a, it's like a fictional bug because they're, they're bigger than any bug would be. But like, I was like, what do they look like? And, and again, trying to just think of things that are just instantly creepy. So I was like, well, they look like earwigs because earwigs are the most awful looking bug ever. So they look like earwigs. <laughs> now, do you include any illustrations in any of your books or is it all just pure writing? Um, well, so, okay. So it's lately it's been writing um like I, I i write under the pen name cm forest which is uh current like i've only been writing under cm forest for the last year or so um but that's both of my uh novel infested and my novella we all fall before the harvest which is a, a cosmic horror book those are both under cm forest but in the past i used to write under my own name christian lafra and uh i had a book called no light tomorrow which has great illustrations in it. It's uh, co-written with a friend of mine, Ben Van Dong. And then the illustrator uh, we got did an uh, illustration for every one of the short, it's a short story collection for every one of the stories. And, and I love that. I love having illustrations in books. I just don't have the opportunity right now to have them in my current books. Well, that makes sense. I just thought maybe at the end you would include some maybe the cliff notes or some, you know, early sketches or something. You know, some people do that, so. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I love that stuff. Like I, I eat that stuff up, but it's, it's really, you know, it, it's dependent on the publisher a lot. Like that was the thing is, is no light tomorrow was a self-published book. So I had a lot of control over what was going in it. Whereas my current books are, are traditionally published. So, you know, I, that's okay, so, really what the publisher want to do with it. So. Okay. So I guess my next question would be is what are the advantages to being a self-published versus having to work for a publisher? Uh, I mean, the, the advantages, uh, you know, they're, they're both, there used to be like a real, like, um, uh, like stigma kind of towards self-publishing. I think a lot of people really like uh, turn their nose up to self-publishing, but it, it's really changed where there's a lot of great authors that self-publish. And, and the reason why is because A, you do have total control 
you, you, any, whatever you want is what's going to be in that book. Um, B you, if you are successful, you're going to make more money. I mean, you're making a hundred percent of the profits off the book if you're self-pubbed. So those are very good reasons to self-publish. However, traditionally published, you know, you have, uh, you know, you're going to have, they're going to be taking care of the editing. They're going to be paying for the editing. They're going to be paying for the cover art. They're going to be paying for a lot of things that you would have to pay for if you're going to self-pub. Um, and also they're going to help a lot with marketing. I'm um, depending on the size of the publisher. I mean, you could get your reach could be so much farther than anything you could imagine with self-pubbing. So th there's reasons to do both, you know, to go both ways. Um, like I said, I've self-pubbed in the past and it was, I, I wanted to, to go the other route for a bit and just uh, get traditionally published, which I mean, I've enjoyed both experiences. So I really can't, you know, recommend one over the other. It's really just a personal preference on per person. What do you, what are you, what are you looking for? Like, I know people that they want the full control of their books, so they self-publish. And so, you know, it's, it's, it just really just, just depends on what the writer wants. Now, I'm trying to figure this all out as far as finances are concerned, which is more advantageous in terms of self-publishing versus going with a publisher in terms of, okay, how much am I going to have to spend? And not, not some, I don't need exact numbers, but I'm just trying to figure out what makes the most sense if you're the first time going out. Um, well, again, again, like I would recommend anybody who's self-publishing that you need to have, you need to pay an editor and you need to pay to get a good cover. Like those are the, the two things that'll kill you. <laughs> like they'll kill your book. If your book looks amateur if it has a, a junky cover that you just made and you're not a graphic designer and you just had, you know, your mom read it to edit it, like it's, it, people are going to notice those things. It's going to look like an amateur book. It's not going to like, so you have to pay for those things. And I mean, the, the price is all over the place for, for both of those services. Um, you know, you could be paying thousands of dollars easy, or, you know, you could be paying hundreds of dollars. It just depends on who you find to do it. But um, it's definitely something you're going to want to pay for if you're going to self-publish, you know, you're not going to want to do that yourself. So you, you could be out, like I said, thousands of dollars up front. And then, and then if you're going to market the book yourself, I mean, if you're going to pay for advertising on all the different social media sites and you're going to pay for advertising on Amazon, like, again, you're talking hundreds or thousands of dollars, depending on what you're going to do. So you know, you could be out a good chunk of money before your book ever hits, hits the stands. So it, it really is something you need to consider if you're self-pubbing. But if you sell, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of your book or hundreds of thousands of copies of your book, well, you're laughing because you're making way more money per book sale than you're going to make through a publisher. What percentage would you say the publisher takes uh, it, I, that's totally like it changes uh, per publisher. So some publishers will will have great deals where they basically they split the, the profits 50 50. Um, and then some have much smaller, it, it depends a lot too on the size of the publisher, like you could be with a really, really big publisher, like Simon and Schuster or something. So your book could be like, ha there could be like, you know, a million copies of your book out there but you're going to get a much smaller percentage 
her book sale through a bigger publisher like that because obviously they had their overhead is way higher right they're printing tons of copies of your book like they're spending a lot of money on your book so you're going to get smaller returns but you're hoping that you also sell way more copies but if you're with a smaller publisher you might get like i said uh you might be splitting the profits or, or coming close to splitting the profits like maybe you're getting you know 30 or 40 percent or of the of the of the profit and then which case you know that's that's obviously a pretty pretty good deal okay now as far as our, uh, when you read when you read book signings and everything before all the guests arrived, who have you met as an author that you said, "Oh my goodness, I've been wanting to always meet you," and you finally got to? Yeah, uh, well, I would say um, I'm trying to think of who some I've I've met a few writers that I, I've I've I really admire. Um, I'd mentioned Nick Cutter earlier. I've I've met him through. Uh, when my very, very first book came out, uh, it's, it's a short story collection called The Space Between Houses. I was asked to do a, a, a like a kind of like a moderate a panel with him and another author um, named and the other author is Andrew Piper, who I also really greatly admire. So it was like right away. The first thing I did as a writer was was meet these two other writers that I was I, I thought are great. And uh, I, I still buy all their stuff. They're, they're awesome. Um, so they, they were really, it was fun to meet them. One of the ones I, I really enjoyed though, is I was at a horror convention in, in London, Ontario, and, uh, I got to meet the, one of the members of, uh, Italian, like synth band Goblin. Um, and, and Goblin is like a band that's, so it is like all synth kind of synth rock stuff. Uh, and, and they did a lot of the soundtrack work for Dario Argento who's an Italian horror director, like a super famous one. So I like, I, I was well aware of their work. In fact, I back on the, uh, you know, uh, on, on the iPod days and stuff, I used to have like all their songs when I would, when I was in animation, actually, I would be listening to a lot of their music. So when I got to meet one of the, one of the members of that band, I, he's, he's quite old now, but it was still awesome to meet him because I never would have imagined I ever would have met one of these guys from this Italian synth band. And yet there he was. So that was cool. Okay, now as far as books are concerned, there's a lot of push I find towards digital and/or audible, you know, books. What's your take on all of that? Um, I think I think originally the digital books, like eBooks and things, were, you know, there was a like the the alarms were going off. Everybody was like, "This is the death of print books," and and it kind of seemed like it was going to go that way, and then it you know kind of came back, and and I think there's like a nice balance now where some people prefer you know they like digital books and some people like physical books and uh they're like so there's a nice balance now the new edition of course is the audiobook um which has been around for a long time but but thanks to amazon there's audible and uh i'm i'm kind of i'm not i i like audible i think it's great one of the things i don't like about audible is there are various like audible exclusives and i cuz like I don't hate audiobooks and I do sometimes listen to them, but my preferred way to, to ingest a story is to read it myself with a physical copy. Um, so when there's not a physical copy available and there's not even an ebook available, the only way you can experience this story is to have someone read it to you. Uh, I, I don't really love that. And there, there are a few books that I, I'm dying to get and I would love to buy and stick on my bookshelf, but they're only available as an audiobook. 
So not really sure about that one. Well, that's, that's always a bit of a drawback. I mean, when you say to yourself, oh, I really want to get my hands on something, but you can't because, again, it's an audio only. And that kind of says, you kind of say to yourself, well, wait, what's, what's the point of, record, of writing the book or putting it out there? You know, you find yeah. yourself in a corner saying, wait, oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not paying, you know, $34 for somebody to read a book to me. I'd rather read it myself. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I like to read read my own books. I don't need someone to read it to me. I, again, I don't mind. I do listen to some audiobooks, especially if I'm going on longer like car rides or something like it's perfect. I listen to them as I'm driving, but I, I prefer to read the book myself. Now, outside of horror, do you read any sci-fi, uh, true, you know, true crime or, you know, nonfiction or, you know, even some funny stories outside of um, the, that particular yeah. you're focused on? Yeah, I would say like, uh, I, I read, I mean, I probably read like two or three horror books to every one other book, but um, I read a, like the next probably most read genre for me would be sci-fi. I do like sci-fi. I'm a big Star Wars nerd. So like I read all the Star Wars books. <laughs> May the but, fourth um, be with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, but uh, it's, it's, but beyond that, I also do read other science fiction. I, I like, um, I, I would say that's that's the next most thing I read. I also read some like literary fiction stuff, uh, I, a little bit of crime, and then uh, fantasy is probably the one genre that I, I really have not read a lot in. Just uh, it just doesn't really speak to me. So, but I try to jump around as much as I can. I don't try. I don't want to just get only reading horror all the time. You know. No, when I when we were kids, we used to read those choose your own adventure books. I always found those to be rather fascinating. And then I was when I was in uh, grade school. We had to do a book report every month, and I was reading this one book, Radio Fifth Grade, from Gordon Corman. I had to stop reading the book for about it had to be a good minute or so. I was laughing so hard, I put the book down. I had to regain my composure because at one point I was laughing so much I couldn't even finish reading a sentence without just busting a gut. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 good when when you get a book that can you know cause that reaction in you. Now, do you remember those choose your own adventure books when you were kids? Did you ever read those, or was that not something you really geared towards? Oh yeah, no, for sure, I read them. Um, I mean, I can't recall any specific one, but I I, I mean, I loved them. I remember, like, I I wasn't like a like so even though like I, I write books and everything now, I wasn't like a, a, a a very um, active reader as a kid. Like I read comic books, but even then I, I was more like buying comics more for the art than the story when I was a kid and, and actual books, I, I didn't read a lot. So one of the few kinds of books I would read as a, as a kid when I was in grade school were the choose your own adventure books. Cause I mean, they were so fun, right? They were like interactive. So um, they, they, they just, and they were small really. Cause you could, you could, technically only be reading for like 10 pages then your character could die or something and that was the end of the book so it was it was really like exciting reading those I kind of remember when we were I kind of remember towards the end of grade school my father was a school teacher and he would be ordering books through Scholastic for his grade six class and I remember that there was a lot of goosebumps choose your own adventure books do you remember those um well I don't remember the goosebumps ones because goosebumps was a, a I was when Goosebumps really started getting big, I was already getting a little too old for Goosebumps. And uh, that's when I started reading more like 
like like traditional novels but but even then it was more like I, I started reading like movie adaptions of of horror movies so like I remember reading like the new nightmare movie adaption you know the novelization I remember reading the demon knight novelization stuff like that okay so when it comes to books which what's your preferred genre in terms of okay you read a book and then you see a movie which one do you prefer more the book or the movie I mean, most of the time the book is better just because it has so much more space to tell the story. I'm like, you know, it, it, if you have a book that's 600 pages and the movie's an hour and a half, I mean, you're cutting a lot of that book out to fit into that hour and a half movie. So the books are usually better. Um, I'd say probably like 90% of the time the book is better. But occasionally you have something like The Shining where they're like, they're both almost, they're both like great. They're almost like perfect, both of them. So one's really not better than the other, but yeah, book's usually better than the movie. Okay, um, well, we're running a little short on time. We're gonna have to cut this meeting off just right now. Then we'll, we'll, we'll be back in a minute. So just you, just you hold on out there, don't you worry. We're gonna be back in just a second. Okay, so we're gonna stop. Okay. All right, uh, so back to where we were. This is part two. I've never done this before, but <laughs> you're going to have to bear with me on all of that. Anywho, so I can't remember what, what was it we, we were talking about, the books versus the movies. Yes, I believe that's what it was. Yes. And you were saying that you find that the book tells a letter story. I find that to be the case too. But then again, similar to what I found with The Hunger Games when I was reading that, I found that there was a lot that they told in the story that the movies just kind of sorry we omitted it because we had to cut it for time and I said to myself why would they do that if it was a really important part of the story yeah I, I mean I think it's it's just you know what the, the nice thing is is now you're seeing with like you know streaming being so such a big deal um you know a lot of these books are being turned into like like a, a eight or ten part miniseries on like streaming and it's like then all of a sudden you have a much you can really tell the story. You can you can really adapt the whole novel, but um, you know if you're trying to fit any book into, unless it's a really small book into that movie time frame, it's just not going to work. I mean, it'll be a good movie. I'm not saying the movie will be bad, but you're going to lose something for sure. I found that to be the case with the 1988 movie I was watching. It's called Akira, and I didn't know this at first, but they took a small, small section of whatever the first two or three books. And then they took a last part of the last two or three books, but there's a whole middle section of the story that was completely omitted. And that's a huge chunk of what led up to where that story was going. And, and I was watching the movie and I said, wait a minute, who's this character? Where did they come from? I completely lost where I was going. I mean, it was still a good movie, but I still didn't understand where did all these people come from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen, right? I mean, sometimes it's almost like you have to have read the book to enjoy the movie because then you, you at least know you know you can fill in the blanks that the movie's gonna like leave you with now i no as no you said no you no you also collect comic books we might as well get into that yeah how, how long have you been collecting oh uh i mean i've been buying comics for well i i, I mean i the first comic i i i'm pretty sure the first comic i ever owned was uh issue five of fright night by uh, it was released through now comics i mean so this was in the 80s and uh i've been buying comics ever since um 
so like when I was a kid, I had a lot of comics, but I mean, they were, they would get destroyed. Like, you know, I would, they would like the covers would fall off. I would tape them back on, um, you know, so I, it wasn't like collecting them. I just was buying them and reading them and they would end up at some point be gone from my room. I don't know. My mom would throw them away or whatever. Cause they'd be all over the floor, but oh, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't take care of them at all. I was, I was a little kid though. Like I didn't, I didn't get it, but um, you know, once I was like getting like, a, once I was like a teenager, I started getting more serious about collecting and uh, you know, so, and I mean, I've been buying and collecting comics ever since, but, but I, I say collecting, but I don't really mean it. Like, like, I'm not like a comic collector in that I don't, actively search out you know rare comics or valuable comics or things like that it's more like I just like comics and I buy comics because I enjoy the medium and so I buy them every week new issues and I just don't get rid of them so I collect them in that yes I have a lot of comics that I've collected over the years but I don't I don't I'm not like searching for like these like rare comics or valuable comics I just buy what I like and just keep them so now, when it comes to your buying your books, do you have a specific artist, author, style design, or any particular, you know, Marvel, DC image, whatever? Um, yeah, I mean, I used to be a big, like, like growing up, I would flip, flip flop between Marvel, DC. I mean, I was always, I would say if I was more of a Marvel fan than a DC fan, like on the whole. But I mean, yeah, I would go through spurts where I would buy almost exclusively Marvel, then almost exclusively DC, sometimes, you know, some of both. Um, once once Image came out, that was obviously a huge, a big deal. I was buying a lot of Image when it first launched. And then over the years, I mean, Image is probably my current, the, the company I buy the most from currently. I don't really read a lot of superhero comics anymore. I mean, I, I haven't for a good five or 10 years even. Um, I just sort of, I, I, I hit a point where I was like, uh, you know, where, where I was like getting like a Batman or something. And I, and I felt like, like I've read so many Batman stories at this point and, and like good Batman stories that like, I don't really need more Batman stories. I think I've like, I've read all the good Batman stories I need to read. And, and I kind of felt that way about superhero comics in general. And so that's when I switched over to just kind of non-superhero stuff which image has a lot of i mean i get some dark horse and you know uh some boom and some, some couple different presses but um in terms of artist or, or creator um I, I love my favorite artist ever is uh well is joe mad um he's awesome battle chasers i remember though reading his stuff on x-men and then he, you know, when he jumped over and was doing battle chasers and then anything he does, I just love his style. And then of course, Jim Lee, who's like, you know, the legend, um, that goes way back though, to when I was a kid getting like uncanny X-Men and anything Jim Lee did, you had to, you had to get, cause it was just so awesome. Praise Jim Lee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I find myself to want to read a better story. So I find that image comics and I, the one thing I enjoy about Image Comics is that whoever creates anything for them, they keep their personal IPs. They keep whatever it is that they have. You work for the larger companies. If you create something new, they immediately snatch it away from you and say, sorry, you can't have that. I, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't appreciate when somebody has a creative idea and then all of a sudden it gets taken away from them saying, sorry, you can't have it anymore. 
Yeah, I, I mean, and, and there's been some of that in the media lately too with, uh, you know, with some of these Marvel books, Marvel comics being adapted into these big movies or even like the shows on Disney where you're seeing the creators of those stories coming forward and going like, you know, yeah, like I get that I was paid to, to write this book, but like I created this character that's now making like a billion dollars. Like maybe I should get a little bit of a kickback from that. And, you know, they, they don't because they're, they're work for hire. That's, that was the, you know, that's what they were paid to do. So it is nice to see image giving, letting the, you know, the creators keep what they created. I think one of my most loved series from image up to this point was paper girls. I didn't read all of it, but I've read most of it. It's a, it's, it's sort of a uh, war of the worlds meets back to the future sort of mixed in together. Yeah. 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 I actually read paper girls. I love Brian Vaughn. He's, he's probably one of my favorite writers. So um, paper girls was fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to, you're right. It's hard to, to really put that into a kind of a, a genre. It's, it's very, a strange book. It's got a lot going on, but it's fun. I also find that, uh, the, the, did you, I don't know if you saw the documentary about uh, image comics. Did you see that? I, I have not. No. There's a, I think it's about a four or five part series. It's on YouTube. They talk to a lot of the creators. They talk to Tom McFarlane. They talk to Kelly Sue DeConnick. They talk to, uh, what, what's that? What's that guy's name? He blocks everybody on Instagram. Um, <laughs> he was one of the founders of the company. I can't remember the guy's name right now. He's, Rob, he's, a, he's a, yes, Rob Liefeld. Yeah. He, he's, he's that, that he, boy, that man is a piece of work. Anyway, <laughs> he, um, no, but the, 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 the one of their first, series of that was i believe wildcats or young avengers or something something along uh, those lines yeah i think the first group of books was uh there was like wildcats young blood which is rob liefeld and then there was uh spawn savage dragon cyber force and uh shadowhawk they've come a long way i mean if you if you read any of the more current stuff, such as maybe monstrous or eight billion genies or ice cream man those definitely show that their creativity has come a long way and their storytelling has become a lot better. Oh yeah. I, I mean, when, when image first started, it, it was, you know, it was basically, a, you know, all these superstar artists from Marvel jump and ship and start in their own company. But, but all those stories were just kind of, you know, ripoffs of the stuff that all those guys were doing at Marvel. I mean, you know, Wildcats is X-Men, like, you know, Youngblood is X-Men or kind of Avengers, I guess, but like, you know, they were just doing the superhero comics they were already making. They just were giving them different names. Um, now, obviously, over the years, Image has become, you know, there's so much good stuff through Image, and it's so much more than that. But in the beginning, it really was. It was like, you know, did you like Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man? Then you'll like Spawn, you know? Like, it looks the same. But well, Spawn to date is the longest-running independent comic on the market. Do you still yeah. read it? I, I don't. You know, and I was a big Spawn fan, like because I was actually a big Todd McFarlane fan. I, I loved. I had a bunch of his Amazing Spider-Man, and then when he was just doing just Spider-Man, um, that was such a huge deal. I remember seeing that comic everywhere. And then Spawn came out, and it was like an even bigger deal. I remember going to the comic shop and picking up issue one of Spawn, and just being like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest thing ever." Um, I, I bought Spawn for about 60 issues. I have like issue one to like 60 of Spawn. And then I think it set into me that like, this isn't going to end. 
You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like this is just going to keep going forever. And because of that, I was like, I don't know that I'm that committed. So I had to just pull the plug at issue 60. And I'm kind of glad I did because, yeah, it's still going. Well, that makes sense. Um, one of the things I've noticed over the last whatever three or four years, and I don't know if you've seen this or not. This really fries my biscuits. People go into comic book stores and they have those back issues on their boxes and everything. They've got a sign in some of their stores saying, because of the nature of the fluctuation and or the speculative market, we have the right to change the price of these books at the, at the till. So we're going to be actually looking everything up right there in front of you and changing the price before you buy this book. I, I don't understand that. That to me is not a good practice. No, that just kind of honestly sounds like, like kind of, well, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds a bit like laziness. Like you don't want to be bothered to go through your stock to see if you have anything worth anything anymore. But you know, I mean, if you got it in in it in a bin and it's just supposed to be cover price, I mean, yeah, you should you should honor that. That's on you, not the customer. That's what I'm saying. If you find something yeah. in a fifty cent bin, and they say, "Oh, sorry, we're gonna have to change the price on you. It's now forty dollars." I'm sorry, what? That's not on yeah. me. That's on you. You're the one who put it in the fifty cent bin. You're the one who didn't know that it was worth the forty dollars. I'm not the one who should have to pay that price simply because you didn't know what was going on. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's a comic store. Like, you know, I could see if, if I, I don't know if, if it was some sort of like, like a pawn shop or something that had a bunch of comics and, and, but I'm like, it's a comic store. Like they know what's what they might not know the exact value of a thing, but I mean, they should have an idea just by looking at a book and knowing the title, if it's probably worth something or not, like it wouldn't take much to pick through a bin and pick out, you know, 10 or 12 things that you're pretty sure are worth more than 50 cents and then check them before, instead of just letting the customer think they're getting these books for 50 cents and then, you know, changing the price at the till. Now, now for, for the sake of the, for the sake of argument, how would, how do you feel about the nature of the speculative market and all these bubbles that are being created? What, what's your take on all that? I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I get why it happens. I mean, you know, all, all they have to do anymore is a, a, a announce a, a book. I, I mean, a show or a movie and like, you know, Oh, some obscure character that is, you know, meaningless to the actual comic world that they're from is going to be in this movie. And now all of a sudden their first appearance, which was in a 50 cent bin is now, yeah, a hundred dollars overnight. It's like, you know, the, the thing about that is that a lot of those things are going to drop, like the, they are bubbles, They're, they burst, right? Like a friend of mine buys some books and he he kind of is like, buys, he tries to buy comics that are going to be worth something. And he asked me one day, he was like, he was, he was somewhere and he was like, should, he sent me a message, he lives in Toronto and he was like, should I get um, the first, he was like, I can get for the same price, he's like, I can get the first appearance of Hobgoblin or I can get the first appearance of Jane Foster as Thor. And this was before the new Thor movie came out. And, and okay. I was, oh, no, was Hobgoblin. Like, Hobgoblin. Well, yeah, but they were, they were the same price, right? And I was like, dude, I was like, get the Hobgoblin. I was like, that's only going to ever increase. I was like, Jane Foster as Thor. I was like, that comic's like four years old. I was like, it's not even an old comic. I'm like, like that's going to be worthless as soon as the movie comes out. What are you talking about? But like that's the kind of thing that's happening where people are buying these things for way more than they're worth. And then they're worthless again, six months later, 
you know. My my um, biggest just, oh god, my, my biggest regret. I bought a I think it was a Spider-Man two thirty eight first appearance of Hobgoblin, but it was the it was graded at a nine point six, and it was the seventy five cent only Canadian price variant, and it was complete with tattoos, and I sold it way too soon. Everybody has a FOMO moment. What's one of yours? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I have uh, no, I, I, I can't say. Well, you know, you know what? I have, I've sold some comics for, but I've sold them for a good price, and then they went up beyond that. But like, I still, I still made a good chunk of money off of them, so I'm not like, I can't be too mad about that. But there's a couple like I had um, the first, I think, six issues of the boys. Um, from the original run through, uh, I think it was Dynamite or Wildstorm. I don't remember who originally published the boys, but it was the first like actual run of the boys. And uh, it was the first six issues. And I mean, you know, I think I, I sold it in like a long box of comics for like, no, like nothing. I, I mean, they were, I, if you actually averaged out how much each comic was worth that, I mean, what I got for them, it was probably like a quarter, but like I could have never imagined the show like that would ever exist. Like I was like, no way would anybody make a movie of the boys or a show of the boys. Um, so there was that one. And also uh, alias I had. Um, oh, Jessica the, Jones. Uh, yeah. The, the max Marvel max title. So I had issue one through whatever. I think I'd like the first five issues or something. And again, I just sold those in like a, a, a big lot of comics. Like they weren't, I didn't sell them for anything worth anything. And meanwhile, it's like, oh, first Jessica Jones. Fantastic. Yeah, I wish I would have kept a hold of that one. I got a long box of comics from my uncle. He, I tried talking him down in price. And then, of course, his friend was just all, oh, no, no, no. These books are worth, I'm thinking to myself, I don't understand why people who don't understand the market are trying to sell you something that you know isn't worth what the price is at the current time. Has that ever happened to you? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I think like really it's more of that hasn't really happened to me, but, but I, I understand it because, you know, it's like, even when I'm selling comics, I mean, in the past, I mean, I, I get it now, but in the past it'd be like, I'd have like a, a long box or I'd have like, you know, 200 comics or something I'm selling like, or something like that. And I'd be like, in my head, I'm like, holy crap, like this 200 comics cost me like a thousand dollars when I buying them all new. And I'm selling them for like, you know, 50 bucks or something. And it's like, I'm getting like, you want to recoup that money because, you know, you put so much money into it. But the reality is, is that's what they're worth. Like, you know, you have to accept that it, it doesn't matter how much you paid for it. it. It all comes down to what it's actually worth. And then that's what you're going to sell it for. Like, so once you can kind of wrap your head around the fact that, yeah, you're not going to make your money back for it it just is what it is then then I, I can see but I can see how people do that like they try to charge you more because they want to recoup or they think they should make money off of a thing and whatever it, it's just like you and gotta I, realize I, I just and I just sit there and I said wait wait, wait wait hold on a second I know the current value of these books and it's not worth what you're selling me anyway so I looked at the box and when didn't you know it I found a sweet tooth number one in that box and I paid all of a single dollar for it <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's this guy I know he bought some long boxes and he got them for like a good deal. And, uh, and then the guy who was selling them to him, he threw in, uh, an extra long box. He had, a, he just had an extra long box and he threw it in and it had, uh, I'm not sure what the, the issue number is, but it's, uh, 
the Batman Adventures, the first appearance of Harley Quinn. Number 12. Yeah. So that was in the long, that was in the long box. The guy threw in for free at the end. And he obviously had no, like no idea either that it was in there or that it was worth anything. Probably didn't think it was worth anything. Cause you know, it, it's like a comic based off of the cartoon for crying out loud, like probably figured it was a quarter comic at best. Meanwhile, it's worth a ton of money. <laughs> Actually, there was a bit of a speculation at one point about the first appearance of Harley Quinn. They were saying that it was actually in a golden book. You know, those golden books with the cassette tape when we were kids? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were saying it was in that particular book. And it was called Almost Got Him. And then all of a sudden, the price of that just shot through the roof. And I'm thinking, wait, what? That's not even a comic book. It's just a yeah. children's reading, you know. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a bit that's a bit weird like honestly I, I mean i could see if you're like a i don't know some sort of like batman collector and so you want anything like all those first appearances in any form but like really that's actually a thing uh, i sold uh to border city comics i sold a uh it wasn't the first appearance of harley quinn but it was her first appearance in the dc universe it was her first issue harley quinn number one um and I had, is that, is I that the one with a real close-up of her? Which is, I think she's holding a hammer. She kind of appears as if she's jumping off the page. Yeah. Yes, I think so. And it, so it, the first couple pages of the book are in the style of the uh, the animated cartoon, but then she like jumps out of that and then is like now is, you know, looks like, a, it's like Ter, uh, Terry Dodson. Is that the Dobson? I don't know. I was the artist. But anyways, um, and I had no, like- I don't know artists. Like, yeah, I had like the first six issues or whatever. And, and again, I, I went to Border City and I had, a, I think it was like a short box of comics I was just getting rid of. And I was like for store credit. And I mean, again, like she was, it was her first comic, you know, her first solo comic. So she was already becoming popular, but like, wasn't, it wasn't crazy yet, you know, and I just didn't think anything of it. And I mean, they, I think he gave me like, whatever he didn't they didn't give me a ton of money for it and i and i again i wish i'd held on to it because it's it's worth a good chunk now but well you know it's funny you say that i had a i paid i paid five dollars for tales of teen titans number 44 first appearance of uh i think it was a what what was it uh, first appearance of nightwing and I didn't know anything about the book at the time because I, I said five dollars. I said, "Well, that's a lot of money. Do I have five dollars on?" Because at the time, when you're a kid, I mean, you're you're broke, and you kind of had to rely on everything and everybody else around you. So I had to wait for Christmas. You had to wait for Easter. You had to wait for you know your birthday. You had to wait for all of those things. But at the time, I bought the book, and then many years later, I come to find out, wait, how how much is this thing worth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's that's always nice. I, I do that sometimes where I'll go through my my comics because i mean i have so many comics and, and I, I don't really have a place to keep them like displayed so they're they're in long boxes but they're all just kind of stacked so i don't go through them a lot because it's like a lot of physical work to do it um but occasionally like once a year I'll, I'll go through all my back issues and it's like when you find little treasures that you forgot you had and i'll be like oh crap this is like this is actually worth some money and then like i didn't even know i had this Okay, I'm, I'm going to send you a picture right now. Mind okay. you, it's not, it's not the complete scenario, but I'm going to send you a picture right now, and it's going to show you all of the books that I currently have. So if you check your DMs on Instagram, I'll send it to you. And this is not a made-up anything. These are This is 100% true. That's just a small section of everything that I own. Okay. The, most, the most expensive book that I currently own, I bought it, I think it was just before the pandemic hit. 
it was a Spider-Man 129 first appearance of the Punisher. Mind you, I did a massive trade-in. I traded and had to get a stack of at least 50 or 60 books. And I squished it all down to that one. And I paid about 1200 bucks for it. But again, I, no regrets because I knew oh, no, that, that that's yeah. a, that's a, that's what's considered a blue chip key book. So that oh, book yeah. that, that book has a little bit more stability than others. Yeah, again, that's like with that friend of mine where I'm like that that's a book that'll never go down in value. It'll only ever go up. Well, then there, do you, what, what's the oldest book that you have in your collection? If you just accidentally came across it and you say, "Oh wait, a minute, wait, how old is this thing?" Yeah, I mean, I have some, again, because I'm not like a, like, I don't really collect old books or, or rare books. Um, well, then probably it, doesn't the, have to be, it doesn't have to be rare, just old. Yeah, well, no, but because of, but I'm saying because of that, like, I don't, I don't like, like buy old books. So the oldest book I probably have in my collection is probably um, a few issues of Jim Lee's Uncanny X-Men from like, you know, the late 80s that I just, I bought in the late 80s, you know, and just have owned ever since. I've actually got you beat by about 40 years. The oldest <laughs> book I have in my collection is from about 1949. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is like there's I've I've had oh we well, you know you know what I have um I do have a couple books from the 70s that uh someone gave me. I think they're like a, it's some issues of the Eternals or something. Um so I got those, but I have, a, I, have a, <laughs> I have a really weird book in my collection. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's called Devil Lena. And I don't know why I bought it. I was just there and I just, I was at, I was at Border City Comics. I saw, I was talking to Tim and he says to me, oh, I have this book. And I looked at it and said, I've never seen this before. I posted it on my Instagram and then all of a sudden somebody says, wait, where did you find this book? And they offered me some money for it. I said, I, I just bought the darn thing. I'm not selling it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even, I've never heard of that for sure. What, what publishers are through? Oh, it was one of those magazine size. I'm oh, not sure. Okay. I'm not. I'm not sure what the publisher was, but I, 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 again, I posted it on my Instagram. But again, I didn't know anything about this book because they just had it there, and I said, okay, whatever. So I bought it. And that was the same thing with Elsa Bloodstone. I bought that book several years ago, but I paid all of ten dollars for it at the time because i just said oh it's weird whatever it was from marvel i didn't know anything about this book i figured hey i could swallow 10 bucks i'm not too worried about it next thing i know okay this book isn't worth ten dollars anymore <laughs> yeah it, it's a, that's a nice one i bought a book from actually border city too it was uh, ultimate spider-man number one but it was the it was like the variant cover where it's, the whole cover was white the only thing on it was spider-man he was it was like the same cover as the regular issue but the whole background was gone it was just white so it was just spider-man oh, was, it, was, uh, it, was it just an, was an outline was it the face was it the whole him swinging no, it was, on the it web was, or? it was like him him swinging spider-man swinging and then the regular cover had like uh like the city behind him but the this cover was just it was just solid white behind him so he was just swinging over a white background and i think it was like a one in it was it, it was it wasn't just a variant it was like a one in 25 or what maybe it couldn't have been a one in 50. I'm not sure if it was that much, but, um, and the, the, the kind folks at border city, they, they just sold it to me for, they, they said they had it and they would sell it to me for cover price. And so I was like, this was when it came out and I was like, cool, I bought it. And I mean, it wasn't long before that book. I, when I, I ended up selling that book and I sold it for like almost 200 bucks, like not that much longer after that, like a year later or two years later or something. It wasn't very long after that. I was like, it was worth a ton of money. And uh, 
I was, I was pretty happy to to get my hands on it. No, and no, I ended no, up no. buying all the trades <laughs> for. No, no, here's a silly question for you. I I follow this guy on uh, YouTube, uh, Dave at Comic Book Investments, and he was talking about how all of these variant covers are not really worth what people are thinking that they're going to be. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think I think that's. I mean, if you look up a lot of times, like you know, um, I'm trying to think where I look up my comic prices. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but uh, um, it's almost always the regular cover that is worth money. Um, you see the, the, those variants though that are like one in 200 or something like that. I mean, yeah, they're, they're worth money, but like just because they're so rare, but I mean, I don't know that that value is going to stay. I mean, they're worth money like immediately because they're rare, but I, I think in like 10 years, I don't know that anyone's going to care that the, it was a, a rare cover. I think it's more like what's in the book is, is you know what it's going to create the value but but I, i'm not really sure like i don't really follow too much with comic investments so i'm not not an expert i'm not either but i just yeah. I, I think it's i think it's fascinating okay well we are almost out of time but okay. i will hand the mic over to you and if you want to you know plug any upcoming events that you have as far as where your appearances are going to be in terms of you know book signings or where people can follow you on social media if you have instagram twitter facebook whatever if you have a public access to you in terms of that or if you want to just you know say okay i have a new book coming out or whatever and it is all you have at it all right well thank you uh so yeah i have why well, I, I do have two books out they both just came out at the beginning of summer uh the first one is infested um through erie river publishing the second one is we all fall before the harvest uh through timber ghost press uh they're both under my pen name cm forest um i do have a I'm going to be doing some appearances coming up. One is at Horrorama in Toronto, um, which is um, next weekend, October 1st and 2nd. And then I'm going to be at Frightmare on the Falls in Niagara Falls, Ontario, uh, the October 28th, 29th, and 30th. Um, and as to where to find me, uh, probably the easiest thing to do would be to go to christianlaferet.com, and then uh, which is my website. And then there's a links. Uh, tab you can that's a drop down or something and it, it has like all my I'm on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all over the place and they're all accessible through there so that's probably the easiest way to to find out what I'm doing and where I'm at and you know news and updates and things are you currently writing a book right now or I am yeah I'm in the middle of uh I kind of have two books I'm working on I, I'm writing a novella right now that I'm at, like actively writing and then I have a novel that I've written that I have to just go back and do some uh, another draft up and some touch up work on. So it's a little tweaks. Two, yeah, I should have two two books finished. Um, you know, hopefully by the end of the year or early next year at the latest, and then uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have some news on on where those books are going to end up or who's going to be publishing them and when they'll be released. Okay, well, uh, as always, thank you for stopping by. And uh, if you don't mind, I will share this on my Instagram story. And I hope you don't mind if I ask if you can put it on yours, because I try to get more listeners along the way. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, as always, if uh, if not sooner, I will definitely see you around the comic book store. All right, as always, I am Daniel. This is Creases and Corners. And until next time, I will see you on the mic.